good day to everyone. I want to welcome each and every one of you. We are so glad to see you. We are glad that you are here with us today. We're glad that you made a decision to be here today. Uh, We certainly appreciate each and every one of you who listen to these lessons. We appreciate your support as you tune into these lessons. Uh, And and today, we're going to be transitioning into a new series. As, As you remember, we have been studying Joseph and uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, I hope you that I hope you enjoyed that short series of Joseph that we went through. You know, he's such a great inspiration, a great example that we can live by. You know, the example that he shows of a persisting and an enduring faith that, despite the situation he found himself in, despite the circumstance he found himself in, uh, or he found himself dealing with, he continued to live a life that pointed to God. Right, but how do we do that? And we talked a little bit about that uh, in weeks past. You know, but how do we exercise such faith? And, you know, it really translates well into where we're going uh, of living a life that is connected to Christ. And so, what we're going to find over the next several weeks is that when we remain connected to Christ, when we let Christ in, when we allow Him to work in us and work through us, He is going to lead us into a life of service. A life where we no longer live for ourselves. A life just like Joseph lived. A life that sought the greatest good of our neighbor. And so to get us started this morning, I want to ask you a question. What are the characteristics? How would you describe? How would you characterize a a, a godly man or a godly woman? You're probably thinking right now about some individuals uh, who you would consider a godly person. Uh, and I want you to think about the qualities that they possess. Um, you know, first thing that came to my mind was uh, strong, devoted, pure, courageous, honest, merciful, responsible, teachable, a servant, and humble. You know, those are just a couple of things. I'm sure you probably have additional Uh, characteristics of how you would describe a godly person. But, you know, we need to understand today that Jesus walked this earth. Jesus walked this earth with the power of God himself. Let's, Let's remember that Jesus was fully human and fully God. Uh, And he had the power of God himself. He could do anything and everything he wanted to do. He had the power that this world has never seen before. But how did he use this power? How did he use this power? What did he do time and time again in the gospel accounts? I think we can all agree that he used his power to serve others. He used his power to place others first. And what do we do as as mankind, as a human race, what do we do when we get any bit of power, when we get any bit of authority, any bit of uh, power, resources, money? How do we handle that? We don't always handle it in the best ways, do we? Sometimes we can abuse that. We can abuse the power that we've been given or the authority that we've been given. Because though, you know, we know as Christians we're called to live humbly, we're called to serve others. We don't do that often enough. We struggle with that. I think we can all agree that we struggle with that. And we don't do it often enough for people to consistently, that's the key word, consistently equate humility and and, and service with Christians. Instead, based on how we live, they say we're arrogant. They say we're prideful. They say we're hypocritical. 
So there's a disconnect here based on how we're called to live and how we're supposed to live. See, that's the problem that I've alluded to in weeks past of we can't tell a difference in 2022 between a believer and a non-believer. There's a disconnect here. And so one of the best ways to live a life that points to God and reflects Christ is to live with humility. You know, serving others can be hard, but doing it with humility can be even harder. And so today we're going to be looking at serving others with humility, living a life of humble service. I ask if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 13. We'll be in the Gospel of John in chapter 13, and and we're going to take a look at a couple of verses here uh, to get us started. Uh, Let's take a look at verse 1 and 2 in John chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, and this is going to help us kind of gain some insight of where we're going to go. In John 13, we understand and we're going to talk about, we're in the last hour, if you will, of Jesus' life. Tonight is a night of betrayal. Tonight is is a night. We are in the final moments of Jesus' life on this earth. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, he knew his time had come. He knew it was time for him to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, some translations will read there, Jesus loved his disciples during his time on earth, and he loved them to the end. Now, verse 2, during supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Take a look again at verse 1. You see Jesus' love for his believers, for his own, as it says. But you also see in verse 2, what you also see in verse 2 is setting the stage for what is to come. It sets the stage for the rest of the gospel account of John. You see, in verse 2, Jesus, Jesus is about to show grace to this individual. Jesus is about to show grace and compassion towards someone who is not only a non-believer, but to someone who is a betrayer, to someone who is a liar, to someone who is an enemy. He's still going to show them grace and compassion. You know, this actually reminds me of the story that Mark tells us in chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, when Jesus heals the paralyzed man when the fringe lowered him down through the roof. And when, and when Jesus saw their faith, it says in Mark chapter 2, Jesus says to them, Son, your sins are forgiven. But there were people there in Mark 2, there were people there who were sitting around, they were scribes, and they were questioning in their hearts, Who is this man named Jesus? Who can do this? No one can forgive sins but God alone. And in verse 8, Jesus, it says, Jesus immediately perceived in his spirit, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, knowing what they were thinking, Though they didn't know him, though they had questions about him, though they had concerns about him, Jesus Jesus knew what they were thinking. You see, that's how in tune, that's how powerful this man named Jesus is. He was God himself walking on this earth. You see, I believe Christ died for the sins of all the world. Even those people, he died for the sins for, for even the people who would not believe in him. That's how much he loves us. You know, it says, the Bible says, God's love is shown that though while we're sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. That's mercy. That's compassion. That's love. 
And so verse 2 really sets a stage for where we're going today. So let's take a look. Uh, let's, let's keep on uh, reading in verse 3. Now Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Do you ever think that we struggle with others? Why? Why are we sometimes unwilling to serve others? I want you to think about that. Uh, the two the two major factors that I think why we struggle, this is, this is my personal opinion, I think we struggle to serve others because of laziness. Now, first of all, had you ever not served someone because it's something that they certainly can do? We say to ourselves, I'm not doing that for them. They can do it, right? And so we argue with ourselves and we say, you know, they're very capable of doing that. So we try to justify our laziness with their ability to help themselves. The bystander effect. It says when we don't give aid or help someone because we believe someone else is going to. Has anyone ever been guilty of that? I want you to think about that. It's when we don't give aid, we don't help someone because we believe someone else is going to. Let's ask the obvious here. What if that next person doesn't come? Okay, it's laziness, right? So so do you think it's a sense of pride as well? A sense of self-entitlement, self-absorption? Sure. This unwillingness to serve. This unwillingness to serve. We're unwilling to serve because we like to say, how can I benefit from this? And if I don't see a clear-cut benefit from helping, I don't want to do it. But look at Jesus' response. Jesus' response here is so much different than how we respond a lot of times. Now here in, in John 13, we're no, we know we're in the upper room. And it's interesting to read about what many people believe this upper room to be like. Uh, as I studied this this week, many scholars describe this as a room. Uh, in a general consensus, they say this was a room with a U-shaped table or a table of some sorts. And along the table, it had couches and it had seats, you know, long enough for men to, to relax, men to recline. And it was common that during those times, during these suppers, as we know they were doing in verse 2, it was common that during this time, the, these people at these suppers would kind of lean into one arm and, and reach over onto the table and eat with the other arm. Um, and so it was kind of a relaxing environment, a, a, a very uh, 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 low um, uh, stress environment. Now I want you to remember throughout all the gospel accounts, there's this ongoing discussion among the apostles about who would be the first and second in authority. Luke 22:24 says a dispute also arose among them as to which was to be regarded as the greatest. And so Jesus sees a need here for a more direct action to teach them real humility. And in verse 4, it says he got up. That's going to change the atmosphere. It says he took off his outer clothing. He took off his coat, if you will. He got into his working clothes. He rolled up his sleeves. He wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, we know we've talked about it before. They didn't have the best Nike tennis shoes or the best on-cloud running shoes. They didn't have running water to get showers uh, all the time. They didn't have paved roads and sidewalks to walk on. 
they are they are walking in, in dirty and dusty conditions. They're walking on roads that are covered in dirt and dust and waste and, and grime and uh, animal droppings, if you will. And so foot washing was a common practice. However, foot washing was reserved for the lowliest of servants. And when Jesus, their mentor, their teacher, their Lord, the one who has done all these miracles, the one who claims to be the Son of God, when this man moved to begin to wash their feet, can you imagine the shock on their faces? You see, foot washing was necessary, but it was dirty. It was inconvenient. That's why Jesus changed clothes. It was a messy job. However, they were too busy bickering with each other. They were too busy arguing with each other. They were unwilling to wash each other's feet, which was a common practice to be done, because no one would stoop so low as to do that. It was reserved for the lowliest of servants. And the way Jesus responds, the way Jesus acts here, it creates an obligation for others to follow. Let me say that again. Jesus' response creates an obligation for others to follow. Have you ever worked for an employer who who will jump right in in the uh, in the midst of the day uh, when, when when times are getting uh, times are getting rough or or we're trying to meet a deadline? Has anyone ever worked for an employer who's r- willing to roll up their sleeves and get to work with you right there alongside of you? And if they do that, you have an obligation to follow that lead. If humble servanthood is not beneath the Son of God, then it's not going to be beneath any person who claims to follow Him. And you know, a lot of times we can get so caught up on on what He did here, on what Jesus did here, and completely forget who He is. Verse 3, Jesus knew the power that He had. The disciples knew the power that he had. They had seen the miracles. They have seen. They have seen him heal the sick. And in the hour, the moments leading up to the cross, he chose to wash feet. Now let me ask again, why are we unwilling to serve? In the hour the moments leading up to the cross he chose to wash feet yet we are unwilling to serve I'll take it a step further why are we unwilling to serve even in the church I've shared with you before 20% of the church does 80% of the work some of you may argue well no one's asked me did anyone ask Jesus to stoop to to, to humble himself and, and do the lowliest of tasks no Why are we unwilling to serve? You know, sometimes it's hard to picture ourselves as servants to those around us. Sometimes it's difficult for them to see us as servants. Because we all have this pre-existing image of what a servant looks like. So think about, what does a servant look like? Better yet, apply it. Let's talk about it. How can you serve? How have you served? How have you seen others serve? Where do we see someone serving others today? Are we not called to be like Jesus? If Jesus can work, then we can work. If Jesus can humble himself, 
then we can humble himself. Romans 6.6 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. As a believer, we can fight the temptation of pride. We can fight the temptation of laziness because our old self has died. It has been crucified. We can now pursue Christ. We can now become more like Him. And there's no better example of this servant and this servanthood than what Christ accomplished on the cross. Although we deserve death, He provided us a way to life. He provided us a way of forgiveness. And that's exactly what these next set of verses, beginning in verse 6, will tell us. John 13, verse 6. It says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, only but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does need does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. So there's certainly a lot happening here. I find it interesting that no one besides Peter says anything. You've probably heard it before if you've been in church before that uh, preachers say that Peter has a foot-shaped mouth. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about why no one else says anything? Think about it. Their Lord, their Rabbi, their Teacher, their Master humbled himself to do the lowliest of tasks. Do you think they were astonished? Sure. Shocked? Yeah. Do you think they were humbled? Quickly. They were humbled quickly. And you know, when we're humbled, we don't say anything, do we? You see, they were bickering about who would be the greatest. It was all about me, 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 me. And then when they were humbled, that led to conviction. They felt guilty. And Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Lord, are you really, are you seriously going to wash my feet? Are you, are you really going to do that? You see, we don't understand the implications there until we read verse 7, Jesus' response. Jesus replies to Simon Peter and says, You do not realize what I'm doing. Later you're going to understand. You see, Peter was acting humble. There was pride in Peter's words. How do I know that? Verse 8, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. We don't do that. It was too humiliating for, first of all, Peter to wash feet, but it was also too humiliating for Peter to allow Jesus to wash his feet. You see, this is a fourth week in a row that pride has come up. You see, pride can block us from seeing our need, from seeing what's best for us. How does pride affect our ability to receive someone serving us? If we're prideful, how do we respond to being on the receiving side of service? If you're like me, we don't want anyone to think we're helpless. We don't want anyone to think we depend on them or the help that they offer. We certainly don't want anyone to think that we don't have the ability to do it. We don't want to show any weakness. And so does it humble us when someone else serves us? 
Does it humble us when someone else serves us? If we're not living right, if we don't have the right attitudes, when someone else serves us, it can be a conviction for us. Therefore, we are humbled by someone else's humility. You see, humility is a chain reaction. If you want to make a change in this world, if you want to make a change in this community, if you want to make a change in your family, it starts here. It starts now and it starts with you. Humility is a chain reaction. And Jesus takes it to a whole new level. He puts it all out there, all or nothing. Verse 8 says, unless I wash you, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Let me say that again. I want you to focus in on this. Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Do you see any spiritual implications there? What's that mean? Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Therefore, we must allow Jesus to what? To wash us, to cleanse us, to clean us of our dirtiest parts. And when we're covered in sin, when we're covered in dirt, when we're covered in dust and grime and waste and we ain't living right, we don't have the right attitudes, and the Lord of all creation, the perfect, spotless, blameless, holy, sinless Lamb, wants to get His hands dirty for you, He humbled Himself to death, even death on a cross. That should convict us each time we're reminded of it. You see, Christ's humility should lead to our humility. It was at this point that Peter finally realized that unless God cleanses a person's sin, that person can have no part with him. So Peter was all in. He said, Lord, wash me everywhere. Wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head. Clean every part of me that could be contaminated with sin. You see, Peter just didn't want to follow Jesus. He wanted to be fully identified with Jesus. What if we had that mindset? I want you to think about this process of being made clean, this process of being made whole. To someone else, how do we explain that? How do you explain this purification, if you will? What do you mean I'm dirty? What do you mean I'm covered in sin and Jesus washes me and Jesus makes me clean? If I've learned anything over the past year that I've been uh, teaching God's Word is God's Word. We don't have to think of elaborate ways to present it. God's Word saved lives 2,000 years ago. It can save lives in 2022. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. There's a payment for sin. There's a price for sin. And that price is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Romans 5.8 But God showed His love in us so while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Colossians 3.2-3 Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. God's word without even using John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's word has walked us through understanding that we are sinners, that we're guilty. But despite that, God loved you so much that despite the deep dark sin that you were found in, he died for you. You tell me a sin 
that the blood of Christ is not covered. God shows us grace by giving us eternal life even though we don't deserve it. You see, His mercies are renewed daily because even though we are clean, yes, even though we are, we do have a permanent salvation as believers in Christ, we still get carried through the dust and the dirt of life. That's why they got foot baths. They were clean. But when they arrived to supper, as it says in verse 2, they needed to get that dirt and dust off their feet. Verse 10, those of you who had a bath are saved. Those of you who are saved, you only need to wash your feet now. Yeah, you're clean, but you went out and you got dirty again. You went out and you sinned again. You went out and you messed up again. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowledge, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 9. And be found in him, not, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here's what that means. By faith we're justified and we're made acceptable before God on the basis of Jesus' righteousness. That's called imputed righteousness. Now take a look at verse 12 in Philippians 13. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, we still need to push on. We still need to press on. We still need to pursue sanctification. We still need to pursue the process of becoming holy and sinless. How do we do that? How many of us sin on the daily? See, my personal opinion, we need to seek, what I believe this teaches is that we need to seek forgiveness daily. Look at this promise made in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what we've just experienced is that Peter's pride and protest set Jesus up to show that he can forgive sins and make them clean. He humbled himself by washing feet. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, by taking our sin as his own. So as Jesus humbled himself and gave us a perfect example, are we not also called to humbly serve others? We are. Let's take a look. Go back to John 13, beginning in verse 14, which reads, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought, ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Don't you find it interesting that the one with the power, the one with authority, the Son of God himself was also the one with the towel? It's interesting to me that, that Jesus wasn't calling us to do something because he said so, but he was calling us to be like him. 
you know, when is it hardest for us to follow this example of servanthood in our lives in 2022? I think it's definitely a struggle of ours. It's hard to serve when we ain't been living right. When we don't have everything figured out, it's certainly hard to humble ourselves and serve others. I believe we can all relate to this. It's hard to serve when people know things about you that you may not want them to know. We wonder what they may think about us. And it's most certainly hard to serve when everyone is going one way and we're called to go the other way. You know, this teaching, this example that Jesus gives us is a call to humble service in attitude and in action. You see, the servant is never greater than his master. If the master washes feet, so should the servant. If the ma- you know the master sets the pace, and we're to follow. Jesus, hours, moments after saying these things, performed the greatest act of service. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So I want you to think about this whole lesson today. What we've identified is is the power that Christ has, the power that Jesus has, the Lord of all, the creator of all. He was fully God, yet he came as a servant. He came to serve others. He humbled himself, washing feet and living a life serving others. He was also a sacrifice, a perfect spotless lamb, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And in John 13, 17, reads, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, I believe there's blessings for obedience. You know, Christ is the blesser. God promises to bless you for being obedient to him. That's a reality in God's word. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, verse 4, then I will give you your rains in their season. And the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Deuteronomy 6.18 And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Isaiah 48.18 Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Luke eleven twenty eight. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. There are blessings for obedience and there are consequences for disobedience. See, Christ himself gives us a great example of being a servant, of serving with humility. These selfless acts, if you will, throughout all the gospel accounts should change us and cause us to have a desire to be more like him, to be more identified with him. Now that God has opened your eyes to this, you need to be prepared. You need to get right. There will be opportunities this week for you to serve, and you have to be available. You have to be prepared today to sacrifice time, sacrifice money, sacrifice positions. As Christians, our goal is to be more like Jesus. And if the God of heaven can put on flesh and save the world, then we have no excuses. We are called to serve. And moments, hours before he paid the price for your sin, he was washing feet 
Yet for some reason, we don't like to serve. We're unwilling to serve. You see, we all know how difficult it can be. One of the best ways to live a life that points to God and reflects Christ is to live a life serving others with humility. Mark 10.45 reminds us that Jesus is a perfect example of such service. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Then he took it to a whole different level that while we were yet sinners, he gave his life as a ransom for many. Oswald Chambers says the real test of a saint is not one's willingness to preach the gospel, but one's willingness to do something like washing the disciples' feet. That is, being willing to do those things that seem unimportant in human estimation, but count as everything to God. Oftentimes we lose focus and we can get so distracted by the things around us that we forget that it's in the most menial and simplest of tasks are the greatest opportunities to serve. Jesus reminds us, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, Jesus calls us to be more like him. And if the God of all creation can humble himself and put on flesh and serve us, then what are we waiting on? I encourage you this week to be in prayer for opportunities to serve this week. I'm praying for each and every one of you that God may use you to serve others and tell people about this man named Jesus. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.